What is the real and nominal price of anything? Let's ask Adam Smith in this episode of Macro Peace Theater. I'm your narrator, Emil Kalinowski, and we will be turning to one of the all-time classics, an inquiry into the nature and causes of the wealth of nations. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we will go to chapter 5 in book 1, which is of the real and nominal price of commodities or of their price in labor and their price in money. It's a whole mouthful, but it's a fantastic short little treatment in which Adam Smith explains to us, um, what does he explain to us? What the true cost of everything is, how we determine that, what is most convenient, and then what are the nominal prices of things? Well, I've done a terrible, terrible job of setting the stage. I hope you enjoy it. I did. Every man is rich or poor according to the degree in which he can afford to enjoy the necessaries, conveniences, and amusements of human life. But after the division of labor has once thoroughly taken place, it is but a very small part of these with which a man's own labor can supply him. The far greater part of them he must derive from the labor of other people, and he must be rich or poor according to the quantity of that labor which he can command or which he can afford to purchase. The value of any commodity, therefore, the, to the person who possesses it and who means not to use it or consume it himself, but to exchange it for other commodities, is equal to the quantity of labor which it enables him to purchase or command. Labor, therefore, is the real measure of the exchangeable value of all commodities. The real price of everything, what everything is really worth to the man who has acquired it and who wants to dispose of it or exchange it for something else, is the toil and trouble which it can save to himself and which it can impose upon other people. What is bought with money or with goods is purchased by labor as much as what we acquire by the toil of our own body. That money, or those goods indeed, save us this toil. They contain the value of a certain quantity of labor, which we exchange for what is supposed at the time to contain the value of an equal quantity. Labor was the first price, the original purchase money that was paid for all things. It was not by gold or by silver, but by labor that all the wealth of the world was originally purchased. And its value to those who possess it and who want to exchange it for some new production is precisely equal to the quantity of labor which it can enable them to purchase or command. Wealth, as Mr. Hobbes says, is power. But the person who either acquires or succeeds to a great fortune does not necessarily acquire or succeed to any political power, either civil or military. His fortune may, perhaps, afford him the means of acquiring both, but the mere possession of that fortune does not necessarily convey to him either. The power which that possession immediately and directly conveys to him is the power of purchasing, a certain command over all the labor or over all the produce of labor, which is then in the market. His fortune is greater or less precisely in proportion to the extent of this power 
or to the quantity either of other men's labor or, what is the same thing, of the produce of other men's labor, which it enables him to purchase or command. The exchangeable value of everything must always be precisely equal to the extent of this power which it conveys to its owner. But though labor be the real measure of the exchangeable value of all commodities, it is not that by which their value is commonly estimated. It is often difficult to ascertain the proportion between two different quantities of labor. The time spent in two different sorts of work will not always alone determine this proportion. The different degrees of hardship endured and of ingenuity exercised must likewise be taken into account. There may be more labor in an hour's hard work than in two hours' easy business, or in an hour's application to a trade which it costs ten years' labor to learn than in a month's industry at an ordinary and obvious employment. But it is not easy to find any accurate measure either of hardship or ingenuity. In exchanging, indeed, the different productions of different sorts of labor for one another, some allowance is commonly made for both. It is adjusted, however, not by any accurate measure, but by the higgling and bargaining of the market, according to that sort of rough equality which, though not exact, is sufficient for carrying on the business of common life. Every commodity, besides, is more frequently exchanged for and thereby compared with other commodities than with labor. It is more natural, therefore, to estimate its exchangeable value by the quantity of some other commodity than by that of the labor which it can purchase. The greater part of people, too, understand better what is meant by a quantity of a particular commodity than by a quantity of labor. The one is a plain, palpable object, the other an abstract notion, which, though it can be made sufficiently intelligible, is not altogether so natural and obvious. But when barter ceases and money has become the common instrument of commerce, Every particular commodity is more frequently exchanged for money than for any other commodity. The butcher seldom carries his beef or his mutton to the baker or the brewer in order to exchange them for bread or for beer, but he carries them to the market where he exchanges them for money and afterwards exchanges that money for bread and for beer. The quantity of money which he gets for them regulates too the quantity of bread and beer which he can afterwards purchase. It is more natural and obvious to him, therefore, to estimate their value by the quantity of money, the commodity for which he immediately exchanges them, than by that of bread and beer and the commodities for which he can exchange them only by the intervention of another commodity. And rather to say that his butcher's meat is worth threepence or fourpence a pound, then it is worth three or four pounds of bread or three or four quarts of small beer. Hence, it comes to pass that the exchangeable value of every commodity is more frequently estimated by the quantity of money than by the quantity of either labor or of any other commodity which can be had in exchange for it.
Gold and silver, however, like every other commodity, vary in their value, are sometimes cheaper and sometimes dearer, sometimes of easier and sometimes of more difficult purchase. The quantity of labor which any particular quantity of them can purchase or command, or the quantity of other goods which it will exchange for, depends always upon the fertility or barrenness of the mines which happen to be known about the time when such exchanges are made. The discovery of the abundant mines of America reduced, in the 16th century, the value of gold and silver in Europe to about a third of what it had been before. As it costs less labor to bring those metals from the mine to the market, so when they were brought thither, as it costs less labor to bring those metals from the mine to the market, so when they were brought thither, they could purchase or command less labor. And, their, and this revolution in their value, though perhaps the greatest, is by no means the only one of which history gives some account. But as a measure of quantity, such as the natural foot, fathom, or handful, which is continually varying in its own quantity, can never be an accurate measure of the quantity of other things. So, a commodity, which is itself continually varying in its own value, can never be an accurate measure of the value of other commodities. Equal quantities of labor at all times and places may be said to be of equal value to the laborer. In his ordinary state of health, strength, and spirits, in the ordinary degree of his skill and dexterity, he must always lay down the same portion of his ease, his liberty, and his happiness. The price which he pays must always be the same, whatever may be the quantity of goods which he receives in return for it. Of these, indeed, it may sometimes purchase a greater and sometimes a smaller quantity, but it is their value which varies, not that of the labor which purchases them. At all times and places, that is dear which it is difficult to come at, or which it costs more much labor to acquire, and that cheap which is to be had easily or with very little labor. Labor alone, therefore, never varying in its own value, is alone the ultimate and real standard by which the value of all commodities can at all times and places be estimated and compared. It is their real price. Money is their nominal price only. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Macro Peace Theater. Thank you very much, Adam Smith. I very much enjoyed it. From the Wealth of Nations, fantastic. So money is the nominal price and labor is the real price because labor never changes. I don't know if I agree with that, right? No, no, I don't think so. I think, I think labor does change even to the person with time and age. You are able to achieve more labor the wiser you become. So with time, your labor, even though it may be the same amount, is more valuable. So I believe. I would say that there is one 
true, real, underlying cost or price, and that is time. So I think there's a connection here. Time is invariable, at least so far for us humans at this point of our advancement. We're unable to tap into wormholes and move through the universe and bend time to our will. But at this time, oh geez, time is immutable. And that is the real price of everything. And I think there is a connection. I can hear the connection between time and labor in Adam Smith's work. But I would say that even labor itself is still nominal. Well, what do you think, ladies and gentlemen?